Hey, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us for our first episode of Revo Talk, the podcast from Revo Track Resource Management Systems. And my name is Hannah Hansard, and I am an associate partner here at Revo Track. And I am so glad that y'all have chosen to take some time out of your day to listen to what we have to offer you. Um, really quick, I would like to introduce you to my partner in crime and co-host and CEO of RevoTrack Resource Management Systems, Melissa Oshman. Melissa, would you mind introducing yourself, giving us a little bit of your background, and then going into how RevoTalk came to be? Absolutely. Thank you, Hannah, for that wonderful introduction. So I'm Melissa Oshman, CEO of RevoTrack, and um, RevoTalk is teaching applied leadership knowledge, but but what RevoTalk really is, is about sharing information with leaders, right? And so our goal here um, from doing this podcast is to really introduce you to new information, new ideas, to innovative um, leaders and innovative things that are happening throughout the, the state, the country, the world, um, and, and really bringing those um, to you. Our, our goal is really to just just broaden your horizons and um, just help everyone think a little bit outside of the box. Um, and so, yeah, we, we're bringing new innovators to you. And I think, Hannah, um, if you don't mind introducing our guests today. Yes, absolutely. We have an amazing list of guests and innovators in their own fields coming to you. But our first guest is a very, very close friend of RevoTrack. Um, Gil Moreno Jr. is here with us today. Gil, first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to um, share your interesting ideas and perspectives with us. Oh, you're so, so welcome. And I got to tell you, I'm so, so glad to be here. Super, super excited and charged up and, you know, definitely a little bit scared too. Melissa was like innovative leaders. And I'm like, oh my gosh, am I an innovative leader? Do I bring innovation to what I do? Right. Of course. Is at that moment, at that moment, it's like, oh my gosh, I got really, really nervous. No. But, uh, so, so excited to be here. No, of course you are. Of course you are. And, and I'm so excited to dive in, um, to a couple of your ideas. But first of all, um, we just go ahead and give us a background of your life and give us, cause I know you are working, um, on your doctorate in business administration. So I'd love to jump into that, but tell us about the journey to get to this point and to get to your studies. Wow, that's a uh, certainly. I'd love to do that. That's that's a loaded question. Um, I'm going to kind of go through some fast pieces to to bring you up to this this uh, where I'm at current state with my journey. But you know, a little bit about my childhood. I was brought up in a Marine family. My father's a Marine. He was in the Marine Corps for about 23 years, so that was a huge part of my life. Um, when I was 17, you know, I decided, hey, I'm going to go and be a Marine. Um, decide just to stay in it, and I wanted, you know, truth be known, I wanted to do something that. My father couldn't do, right? We could both be Marines, but I practiced my entire life since I was about, I think, five or six years old as a musician. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a Marine and I'm going to be in the Marine band because my dad couldn't do that. So I'm going to get a little bit of a one up on him, right? Because my dad was very, very competitive. So I was like, oh, so I did that. Um, and during that time frame, you know, uh, really fell in love with leadership um, and decided that I wanted to go to school. Well, I had to tell you, I tried to go to school in the Marine Corps and I'd enroll in a class and disenroll, enroll and disenroll. And my success rate was about 33%, right? Um, that's what I would complete a course. Every three classes, I'd disenroll from two and complete one. So it was a long journey for that. Um, but then made the decision after about nine and a half years in the Marine Corps to get out and 
I remember one of my mentors back then, he asked me, he was a colonel in the Marine Corps, and he said, hey, you know, Sergeant Mo, what are you going to do? Um, and I said, well, what do you mean, sir? What, what do you mean, what am I going to do? I'm a Marine. He goes, no. He goes, do you plan on staying in or are you going to get out? And I said, well, I'm really not sure yet. I've kind of got some mixed, you know, mixed feelings on that. And he goes, well, I'm going to be straight with you. You need to, you need to leave our Corps. And when he told me that, I was like, I need to leave our core. Does he not like me? Right. I started to look at myself a little bit negatively and go, what am I doing wrong? You know, do I need to change things about me? But real quickly, he added, he goes, let me tell you why I believe that. He goes, there's nothing else you can do for the Marine Corps that's not already being done. He goes, as a leader in the civilian sector, he goes, you'll be able to change lives and change the world because of how you lead. And I told him, that's exactly what I want to do. So I did what every Marine does. I got off the Marine Corps right after nine years for me and started working a job making $9 an hour, right? It was great. I was working construction, but I think the lesson there for me was really perseverance, right? You, you hit hard times and at what point, at what level are you willing to persevere and put it all on the line, right? Because it can get really, really scary uh, to put everything out on the line and take that step to go after what you want. So, you know, got out of the Marine Corps, worked for a couple of contact centers at the time, and then relocated to San Antonio back in, oh gosh, the early 2000s and started my degree. You know, it took me 17 years to get my undergrad and decided just to go back to school and, and finish it. So I finished my undergrad and I got a Bachelor of Science in, in Information Technology because I wanted to really know about technology. You know, I didn't want to be a programmer. I started a program and learned about seven different languages, I think it was, and just decided, you know, that's not for me. You know, uh, computers don't talk back to you. They don't do a lot. They don't interact. And I need very much that people interaction so I can see how they're doing, check in with them to see growth transpire during that process. So I completed my undergrad. And then, you know, um, the following year, in 2005, I decided to get my master's, right? So that only took a year and a half. Thank God. So I got an executive master's in business because I wanted to continue to lead organizations. I wanted to really understand people, right, and, and how to lead them and what makes people successful or what, you know, what ideologies do people think make people successful, right, and really understand people. So did that. And after, you know, going to my um, through my master's course, I decided, you know, I'm never going to go back to school. Right. Never. I don't didn't like it. You know, famous I last did words. The time. Right, right. I'm like, I'm not going to do this. It's going to have to take, you know, I remember joking around, it's going to take an act of God to get me to go back. But you got to be careful what you what you ask for, what you say, because, you know, it's interesting. A couple of years back in, in 2018, you know, I remember going into that year and just kind of reflecting on my life. And I was praying one morning and in church because I was a worship leader too, you know, singing and playing the piano. And I remember before church one day I was praying and I'm like, okay, Lord, um, what would you have me do this year? How do you want me to change? You know, what do I need to work on? And I distinctively heard I need to go back to school. You know, and I was like, that's that's crazy, Lord. You know, you know, I, I believe it's I believe in talking to Jesus the same way I talk to somebody else, right? On on my level, so I don't have to be, you know, real solemn and and down to earth. I just talk to him where I can understand them. So um I heard go back to school and I was like, I just want to make sure uh, I need to make sure, make sure I didn't fabricate your voice in my head. Right. Cause people can fabricate stuff and you can tell it's very fake. So with that, it started to apply to, I think it was five different schools. And I remember saying, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, make it easy. Well, I got to tell you, I got into all five schools, right. I had to do my part of course. And then I was like, okay, 
uh, I'm in, but if it's going to be easy, make the finances fall into place. Right. And then all the financing fell into place. I'm like, gosh, this is weird. Am I really supposed to go to school? Right. I kept asking myself and then I'm like, okay, I just need to, to give in. Right. I need to let things happen. I need to be in that moment and start living out each moment and following what I know to be true. I had to follow my yellow brick road, my footsteps to, to the place where I knew I needed to get to. So at the time I knew, okay, let me, let me start up um, my doctor's courses and, I knew I wanted it to be in business and leadership. So that's what I started to go after. I started to, to, to take all my courses. Um, and I'm glad to, I can say today all my coursework's done. And now I'm writing. I just finished up chapter one of my dissertation. You know, it's titled Job Satisfaction with Generational Workers in the Hospitality Industry. It's a correlational study. So what that means is, is I'm just going to look at several variables to see if they apply to the hospitality field and what impacts and moves job satisfaction, which the really cool thing about that is that can be applied across any business field, right? The, the data that and the research that I do, they can take that and make some general assumptions with it to apply to um, certain industries. I'd love to do one later on in the schools, right? To really talk about satisfaction among school workers. What does that look like? Because I think it would be very beneficial even to RevoTrack to, to get with the leaders and say, hey, look, this is what the community of our um, employees are saying about the environment that exists today, right? And then going, now that we have it, what are we going to do with it? Because there's a choice at that point, right? Doing something and, and uh, just doing something that's effective. So a long, you know, kind of a long answer to just get to where I'm at today and in, in, in with that dissertation. And, and hopefully I'll be able to finish by, I'm hoping the latest May now, since I'm in the writing piece, hopefully I could finish by May and then and button this up and then get to get get my life back, so to speak. Right. No, exactly. And, and could you um, dive a little deeper? Because I know it says that generational workers, and I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday about um, being kind of in this millennial generation and entering the workforce for the first time and her just graduating with her master's and how, how different it is. So can you expand on your ideas of that just coming from a young woman who's recently entering the corporate world? Yeah, abs absolutely. I think that's a great, um, great analogy. You know, when we, when we take a look at the, the, the age of, of people and what they're doing. And I'm going to talk about the hospitality industry real quick, because that's where a lot of my experience uh, that I draw from and really seeing this gap. Now, when you think about, right, uh, you go to a hotel. I like full service hotels just because I'm a little bougie, right? I'm a little, I like to be pampered when it comes to that. So when you go to a full service hotel, right, who cleans your room typically? right? A housekeeper, right? Now, are housekeepers typically young? Well, your age, Hannah? No, right? They're usually older, right? A different generation, right? That's in there. You go to a bartender, are the bartenders typically older or are they younger? They're younger, right? You got you to ask yourself, why? Is it to keep up image? Is it because, right? Now, I can tell you from what I know, those job positions don't say looking for an older worker to, to clean rooms. That is not what's happening, right? That breaks so many laws right there. And, 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 and it's just bad. I don't recommend anybody do that. But it's interesting on how we as a society uh, kind of position people into job roles, right? And say, well, you're okay. You can do this. Well, you're, you know, you, you have this experience. You can do this. Right. And when we start to take a, a look at it, what I really want to start shouting on mountaintops is the potential of people. 
right? What separates people? The experience that they have. Um, so I typically will try to, to push people, you know, what do you enjoy doing? What do you love doing? And go do that. If you don't know what it is, figure it out, you know, and then do that. And then helping others, you know, and, and, and understand about folks that are in generational positions, why they're in that role. And again, it's just education, in my opinion, and understanding of why people um, are in certain roles and, and what's their thought process, right? Um, from, from boomers, boomers are very loyal, right? Like our, my parents, boomers. And they typically go to one organization and never leave, right? Those are the stories we hear. They're with them all their life and they retire. There, there's a lot to be said about that loyalty, right? Um, but if you, if you pull that group and you get data from that group, you're going to have, typically, you might have a lot of folks that are loyal, but they're unhappy, right? So leaders need to understand how am I going to lead the boomer generation in the hospitality field? whether it's my housekeepers, whether it's my, you know, uh, accountants, uh, reservations folks, whoever it is, how am I going to engage them? How am I going to engage my Gen Xers, right? Or my Gen Ys or my millennials, right? Gen Z folks that are coming into it. There's all sorts of different things. And I think now more than ever, I think there's five generational groups that are in the workforce today. It's real important for leaders to understand how to lead through that much diversity. Because right now we're just talking about generations. We're not talking about you know, Hispanics or Indians or African-Americans, right? Um, where there's many different holidays that we need to to be aware of as a leader. And so often, you know, so often we, we miss as leaders, we miss opportunities to just recognize, right? And I'll give you an example. Um, I, know I heard this story with, with the organization that I'm with today and it goes, um, I just kind of summarize it. There was a, an Indian gentleman who, who practices, uh, uh, they're Hindu, Hinduism. And I think um, Ramadan is what he was uh, celebrating, right? Well, this leader before would always say Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, whatever, would never recognize, right, Ramadan, just didn't. And so the, the leader got feedback and, you know, was challenged with really understanding the culture of, of their people rather than just blanketing, hey, Merry Christmas, Happy Thanksgiving, Happy New Year. So the leader really went above and beyond. And I remember that they had um, purchased something for this associate. Heart, meaning, Phil, you hope you have a good, you know, Ramadan, you know, um, time. And this, you know, the associate w was baffled. They were baffled because this leader took the time to recognize them with something that's important to them to wish them, you know, happy Ramadan. I hope your, your time during this, you know, this thing is refreshing, et cetera. And I just think that's so, so important right to to recognize for the right reasons and to have it be meaningful and and to lead that, that's that's just such a huge part of leadership right in managing and changing lives it's so so important and that's such an amazing story y'all like i i love that um hearing about that leader that just went above and beyond to really get to know um the the people that work for him and and how um they celebrated uh the holidays and 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 things like that so you know listening to you talk about all the different generational workers and then you know the 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 different you know backgrounds and demographics of all the people that that you lead I mean, it sounds like you really need to kind of almost be a chameleon and be very agile. Um, 
you know, day to day, week to week. So can you just dive in a little bit deeper on how you as a leader manage all of that? Yeah, that's, that's a, yeah, absolutely. That's a great question, Melissa. I would tell you the number one thing I try to do um, as a leader today, and, and this was something that I learned over the last, you know, one or some years, um, there was, there's been a lot of time, is I try to listen. Right? I try to listen quite a bit and I digest information. Um, sometimes people say, you know, you're being quiet. You got a blank look on your face. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, right? I'm just thinking because I try to formulate you know, make assumptions, right? Put stuff together, let the, right? There's a methodology to the madness that goes on in my head. I typically tell people there's a method to the madness, <laughs> right. you know, but, but I listen. And when I do speak to, to folks, I want to make it as meaningful as I can or as impactful as I can, right? I want to do the best with the minutes that I'm going to have with those, with those individuals. Um, so I think listening, Melissa, is such a, such an important, uh, important concept. And then acting on that, Right. Having the interactions be meaningful, listening, associates really, really appreciate it. Right. And then leading for the right reasons. When I think about work today, right, all the work that we do at, is going to get done technically. Right. You're hired for a reason to do a job. Right. There, there's a transaction that's going on that people expect it. You're getting paid to do a job. You do that. It's a good day. Right. That's what you're signed up to do. What you don't technically sign up to do is to have a two way directional conversation. Right. Some people may be introverted, don't like to talk. Well, how do you speak to introverted people? It doesn't mean they don't talk. It just means they, they, they may not talk a lot at first. And all that means from a leader perspective is that they just have to find the right footing to connect with that associate to get them to open up. Right. Cause they will open up. Introverted people open up with other introverted people because they know how they're thinking. And that's all it is. Introverted people know how other introverted people are thinking. And so they, they, they know how to approach them. And as a leader, you know, you mentioned being a chameleon. I think that's it. You have to, we, right, as leaders have to formulate, you know, and become those, you know, to, to mix in and blend in with those around us. That's such a, such a critical thing, especially when it comes to leading them down their journey, right? At the end of the day, I often tell people, hey, it's going to benefit me 100% to see you promoted, to see you grow on in your role. It, you know, I have to be honest, out of all the people I've helped throughout my career, I have not received one bad, right, letter or note or text that said, Gil, you know, um, how dare you help me get more money in my career? Don't ever talk to me again. That's never happened, right? Usually the, 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 the folks I've helped on, they've turned into lifelong friendships where we connect and it's like, how are you doing? Things are great. What's going on? Uh, there's mentor relationships that form over the years that I think are great um, and that are really engaging to me that I have. So it's, it's just a lot. It's never, never ending, right? When you're a leader, you're signed up for life. It's not, hey, I'm going to lead between 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. No, I, I'm on the entire time, right? Um, and, and, that's, and that's the commitment, you know, at the end of the day, right? That, that is what a leader does. They lead Period. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, right. and, and we've spoken about this before, but you've also talked about leading people through the lens of music. You know, um, you and I have that in common. Both you and I are musicians. Um, and that is such a unique perspective that I don't think a lot of people understand. You and I understand it. But for our audience members who don't quite understand what it is to lead through the lens of music, can you give us an idea of what you mean by that? Yes, absolutely. And that's probably one of my favorite 
uh, things that talk about his music and leadership and really putting those together. So as a musician, right, when you start off as a musician and you're learning your craft, whether for me, it's trumpet. That's my forte. I've been playing that for 40 something years now. So I learned on trumpet. I had to practice day in and day out, day in and day out. As a kid, 30 minutes a day, that was like, are you kidding me? I felt that was a life sentence. You know, my parents, you know, my mom, my mom would say, Gil, Gilly, you're going to practice for 30 minutes. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. <laughs> right. Uh, but then it, it then it became a habit. Right. I was always practicing. And instead of, you know, um, looking at us practice, I looked at it. I'm honing my talent. I'm no longer somebody that's trying to do something. You know, I'm not trying to be a musician. I'm a musician, right? Because I was practicing. Exactly. So when I take a look at that, you know, that, and I tie it to the business realm as leaders, right? We can't just all of a sudden become a great leader or a great worker or, you know, the end state of what somebody wants to become. There has to be practice with that. So me being a leader, I have to practice. I have to, what, what are some leadership things I should do? What do I need to learn to make me a good leader? Right. So do I know about generations? How do I lead differently for generations? Is there one leadership concept that I apply to everybody? Right. There's micromanagers. Is that a good leader or is not a micromanager? Right. There's all these different things to learn. And I learned very late in life that one should practice leadership, too, if that's what they're going to be. So that's how those two, in my opinion, relate practice on, on for the individual is the same thing as practicing as a leader to work. And then going back to music, when you're creating music, you know, on trumpet, it's really hard to do, right? To create a whole ensemble list. I'm recording, then I record another line, and then I record another line because I can't play more than one note. Well, I, can, I can now, but typically you can't play more than one note at a time, right? On trumpet. So there's got to be a lot of teamwork, whether I'm playing Baroque music or brass quintet or jazz or top 40, right? I'm putting all these sounds together, that practice and doing your part then bringing it to a group together, that, that's so critical, that teamwork. But once we transition to the business side, right, there's a lot of teamwork when you get put on a, a team to maybe it's implement, right, like for, for, for RevoTrack, developing software, in, implementing software, right, and doing that whole thing, forming partnerships with schools, you know, forming business partnerships. That's so critical. And oftentimes in a team, if one person's not doing their weight, right, not doing their, not, not pulling their load, that team's going to struggle, right? And it's hard to see, I think, in the business realm versus in music. Music, I think, is easy to see. To, to explain this concept, I've, I often tell uh, an orchestra or a band that I'm working with, all right, pick a note, any note in the grand scale, and play it when I, when I'm, when I say, you know, when I bring you and I cue to play. You take a big breath, and they pick a note. They played all sorts of notes, and it just sounds horrible, right? There's all this dissonance. It's like, oh, my gosh. But yet everybody... And the musician, right? Everybody in the band is highly skilled. So how can a highly skilled group of individuals put together something that sounds so displeasing to the ear, right? Same with leaders. We go to the leadership side. How can a group of individuals that are highly engaging from a leadership perspective put together a, a wrong song? The song being the culture environment, right? The, the song being somebody's job satisfaction, lowering attrition, all these different things are so important for leaders to get right because if the song's right, right? If the music's right, they're going to lower attrition, right? Let's play that tune that lowers attrition. And this is what it looks like. Or that, let's play that tune that increases job engagement. This is what it looks like. These are the levers we're going to have to pull to make sure we get that going forward. And the, the last piece is performance, right? Uh, 
you're, you're, you're practicing by yourself to play with people, right? For this grand performance that you're going to do for other folks. Now they get to see, you know, how you're impacting them, you know, what's it sound like. And, and typically in the music world, we put on right concerts and stuff like that. But what does that look like in the business world? It may look like a meeting. It may look like a business conference. It could look like, right? So much as, as the, um, the the stock exchange going up because somebody's val- company's value is increasing, right? Their stock value is increasing, maybe from a hundred dollars per share. You know, it climbs and now it's at three hundred and something. The, all these correct things are happening in the right direction to push an organization forward. And to me, it, it, it's all about the performance, right? The, the sound, the leadership collectively, and how other people are really taking that. There's so many different layers, and typically the performance side is, is it involves a lot of the senior, right? The senior C level leaders. To, to understand what's going on um, all throughout the organization to really ensure that that's taking place, right? In my opinion, there should be nothing but equalness in, in an organization, right? And there, there's positions just for order. That's it. But all these great ideas are coming for the collective bunch. I always tell people, I hope I have one good idea per year, right? I hope I have one. But if a team of 10, right? could have one good idea a year, that's 10 phenomenal ideas, right? That they can now put to flight. And that to me is, is incredible because an organ- organizations can get really, really far if they listen, right? Listen to the customers, listen to their employees, right? Listen to the heartbeat of the organization that they're in and what they're doing. That's so, so, so critical, right? And, and again, when you start to look at it, you can start to see, yeah, that organization sounds good, right? I know, Hannah, we were talking earlier, but one of the things I think of is, man, I wonder, I wonder in, in a few years what the Revo soundtrack is going to sound like, right? What are people going to interpret that? You know, is it a jazzy? Is it, you know, I imagine like it's probably like an uptown funk Bruno Mars type, you know, everything's just going to be good, you know, Uh because of the engagement and the excitement and, and, and you're right, it's modern today. It's just everything, in my opinion, that a team needs. You know, I've seen nothing but great things from RevoTrack that, that has that stuff. So it's really, really excited to see you all put together a lot of what's already being studied, at least from my perspective, to make happen. So it's it's magic in the making. So good, kudos to y'all oh, for well, doing that. Yeah. Well, and thank you for thank you for saying that. Um, and it truly, it, it does come back to the team. And it's exactly what you said. Um, whenever you are an ensemble, you know, coming back to music, you every person of that ensemble, because you have a leader, of course, you have the conductor, but every person of that ensemble has to take responsibility for their own part, for their own instrument, because if you don't, it's going to fall apart. It is going to fall apart in the performance and everything like that. So as a conductor, you know, as a leader, it's kind of your responsibility to um, instill that intrinsic motivation into your ensemble um, as a leader, instill that motivation into your team, right? So um, what have you found being a leader, um, maybe even some um, exercises or even just things that you have, because it's more than just caring about the employee. You can care and you can love your employee, but going a little deeper, how can you instill that intrinsic motivation into your team to come up with those 10 phenomenal ideas that you were talking about earlier? So to me, Right. You can you can have meetings just to have meetings. Right. Um, I don't I'm not a big fan of hey, Let's have a meeting to have a meeting to have a meeting. No, let's get let's get 
strategic, right? Let's get a little bit calculated and purposeful, right? Uh, there's nothing more frustrating than somebody that doesn't have purpose in what they're doing. You're like, where are we going, right? It creates confusion, et cetera. So I like to to have a cadence to where um, I'm always meeting with my folks and I'm leading. I'm calling just one-on-ones, right? It's a one-on-one. So that's what the meeting's going to be called. It's a one-on-one. It's typically bi-weekly. I'm sorry, bi-monthly. So two times a month, every other week. And um, we talk about, uh, I talk to them about how they're doing, right? how, my, how, how my associates are doing, uh, what are they working on? You know, we talk about their personal development. I talk about their family. I usually start with their family. How are things going at home? What's going on? You know, what have you been into? You know, are they super excited about, you know, uh, back in the day, I remember Glee, everybody watching Glee. I was a Gleek, right? I was a Gleek back in the day. Um, so everybody, I remember after Glee came out and I had my one-on-ones, I talked to a lot of people. Hey, what did you think about Glee this week? And you get some people talking about that. And it's not that that was going to solve anything we're doing from a work perspective, right? That, that it's not going to solve anything. But I also know, cause I don't like to do things just to do things. I also know that I was creating an incredible amount of trust and relationship by having just open discussions. So when I first started doing this many years ago, I started to see that trust form amongst with people. Then I was like, you know what? I need to do the same thing that I do with my associates with the team. Because if I, I saw a strong bond developing one-on-one, right, with me and my associates, I started to approach teamwork the same way. So when I have a team meeting, yes, there was an agenda, right? But we talk about things that are open. We, 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 I'd always talk about the norms of our meeting and everything we talk about, you know, is uh, confidential as a team, right? We, we, we don't air our stuff out in the world. We fix it on this team, right? We want some transparency. If something's not working, um, the team made sure they brought it up. And oftentimes that means, right? If that means if we're not working, if the team's not working together, we need to feel safe that we can bring it up with no retaliation, no, hey, you hurt my feelings type deal, right? It's let's work through this. There, if there's a problem, let's work it and fix it, fix it. We're all adults. And to me, that has has paid dividends the last, I want to say, 10, 15 years of my career in, in working with people. I've seen nothing but great things happen with teams. And even with folks that, right, you're going you're gonna to meet some nonconformants, right, people that don't want to do that. You'll see it all um, change um, as you continue to lead folks. And I just think that's really, really interesting as you see that. So meetings, you know, those two meetings, Melissa, I think are real, real important to have uh, as you're building that trust with individuals. Yeah. And and thank you, Gil, for those, you know, real world strategies um, to, you know, getting that buy-in and trust and relationship building with your, just not only your employees, but, but your team as well. So I think that'll be really, really helpful. Um, so I'm going to kind of switch gears a little bit because I want to touch on something that you mentioned earlier that piqued my interest. And you said something about um, cultivating your yellow brick road. So tell me a little bit more about what that means to you. That's that's funny. So it, it, this is pretty, uh, I don't say weird, but, you know, I, I like to have fun at work, right? You work with a lot of people for the majority of your life. So I try to have fun. And to me, I've always loved The Wizard of Oz, right? Being a musician, I just think it's great. And on The Wizard of Oz, I remember when I first watched it, I was like, man, those munchkin dudes are funny. And boy, do they know how to lead. 
Right. And, and I remember talking to people like, what do you mean munchkins don't delete? I'm like, have you ever wondered why they're always saying, Hey, just follow the yellow brick road, right? Follow the yellow brick road. You're going to get to Oz, right? You're going to get to your end state. So I kind of applied that many years ago and say, okay, I'm on this journey, right? My yellow brick road where I'm trying to progress forward to my end state. So if I follow my yellow brick road, there may be some zigs and zags, but if I follow it, I'm going to get where I want to get to. And sometimes right? It takes a person to ask for directions, right? Maybe they don't know where to go. Maybe there's confusion, but maybe there's this. And those directions come in the form of, you know, collecting with a, uh, a mentor, maybe uh, somebody that you, you value and trust a lot to, to, to help put you in the direction you need to go in, or you cannot ask anybody and maybe veer off your road, right? It's going to take you a little bit longer to, to get to your um, desired end state that you want to be at. So that that yellow brick road, I got to tell you, is so critical in people understanding which way do I need to go. Hey, let's not make it hard, right? Here's the next 30 steps on how to follow your yellow brick road. No, no, we're going to cut through that. We're going to give you one step. Just follow it. Know what your yellow brick road is and follow it. And that means if you're going to veer off, are you following your road? If that's going to go and sideline, you don't take that because that direction somebody may go in could be... Uh, could, could cause them three years, five years, seven years, who knows? And then eventually they're going to come back on the road and they're going to say, man, I wish I just would have stayed on this road and continue forward, right? And you often hear it, the, the, the straightest or the fastest way from point A to point B is a straight line, right? Well, in the business world, the fastest way from point A to Oz is follow your yellow brick road, right? right? Get on that road and, and, and go forward. And it's so simple, right? In my opinion, I think it's so simple. And leaders, we need to... Uh, we need to not make it so hard to lead people, right? Oftentimes, the answer is that way. When somebody asks you, I don't know what to do. Which way do you need to go? That way. Right. As a leader, you know, if you've defined your, you know, clear vision and goals, then you're absolutely right, Gil. Then, you know, the decision is very easy. If if the the move is going to get you closer to the goal, then you're, you're on the yellow brick road. And if it's not, then you're you might be a little bit off path there. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I think uh, from a leadership perspective, an important thing to understand too is, right. We're going to be in, in situations where, you know, we're getting asked questions and we're not going to know the answer, right. That to be is a defining moment in a relationship. When you don't know the answer, say, you don't know. I have no idea. Right. And to build even more trust, if it's with, within a business and you don't know, take it back to the stakeholders of the business, right? To the people that are doing the work and say, hey, guys, here's a real, here's our business problem. This is a problem that we have. I don't have an answer for this, and we need to solve this as a team. What are your ideas? Let's brainstorm it. Let's, right? Let's, whatever we need to do, let's put a plan together, right? Now, at that point, it's my responsibility to make sure I can just keep us pushed in the direction, right? Moving forward, following our business yellow brick road. And the team's responsibility now becomes a we responsibility of solving this for our business because it's our decision, right? We would uh, recognize what the, the risks are, right? And, and, and put together misgritigation plans to make sure that those things don't happen. And it's just being aware so that we can stay on the, the path as best as we can. I think leaders today, uh, some leaders, not all, uh, but some leaders don't want to admit that they don't know because it could be a sign of weakness. I can tell you if that's in your repertoire, get it out. It's, it's not a, a sign of weakness. To me, it's actually a sign of strength to know what you're, 
to not be afraid to voice what you don't know and to get some collaboration and say, let's figure this out. My thoughts are maybe this, but I know if everything goes just the way Gil thinks, it's not going to be solid. But hey, if all of us collectively think a certain way and we're in it together, odds are that that decision, whatever it is, is going to be rock solid and it's going to benefit the associates, the, the organization, perhaps the you know customers as well um, along that journey. Absolutely love that idea. That is such a cool way of thinking about it. And, you know, I, I always think about, you know, my personal journey. I, again, I, I was a music student and, you know, whenever I was getting lost on my yellow brick robe, where did it leave me? It led me to software development. Who literally, who would have thought <laughs> I would be doing this with an undergraduate music degree? So um, it's also just about I think just trusting your process. And even if you feel like you're going off of your road, just trust it and it'll lead you exactly to where you need to be. So no, I absolutely love that. Um, Gil, it has been an absolute pleasure as always visiting with you and having you as a guest on our podcast. So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, do you have any plugs, any, any um, last thoughts that you would like to leave us in our audience with? You know, if I was to, to tell you know all the listeners today what thing that they should probably take away from the podcast today, I would just say you know um, move, right? Create some action. Um, you know, live live in the moment, right? Don't wait. You know, put action today and 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 just really to go with that. Uh, learn from the things that that they've done and apply them now versus you know waiting years down the road and then go oh what if I do this differently, right? Um, we're all on a journey. We're all at different stages in a journey. Everybody listening to this podcast today or tomorrow, whenever it is, they're on a journey, right? They're in a, in a place in time. And the fastest way, you know, again, to get where they want to go is to move, to go forward, right? Even if they go left a little bit, as long as they get back on that yellow brick road, I think they're going to be just okay. It may be scary, but, you know, do it anyways. They're, the people typically are not mad with the results they experience. And again, I just want to thank both of you and the RevoTrack team for having me on today. It's been an absolute pleasure, completely exciting. Um, and I look forward just to, to uh, working with y'all and keeping tabs on everything that continues to take place with RevoTrack. Exciting time. Thank you so much, Gil. Yeah, thank you so much for, for saying that again. Thank you so much for being on today. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. What? an amazing conversation with Gil. You know, I know that Melissa, you know, Gil very well, and he's a really dear friend of RevoTracks, but I, I really haven't had a chance to get that in depth and talk with him. Um, something that I love that we have in common, obviously both of us are musicians. Um, and he talked about teamwork from a musician's perspective. And I kind of want to dive a little deeper into that because I, if you're not, if you haven't been in an ensemble, whether that be a band, a symphonic wind ensemble, an orchestra, choir, anything like that, you really wouldn't understand the collaboration that has to go on with that. But I know, Melissa, your kids are in band and they're very involved in marching band and things like that. So you can, you can empathize and you can understand a little more. But I feel like a lot of the time, whenever we are talking about teamwork and learning to be a part of a team, you think about an actual sports team, right? Yeah. yeah. 
We think that you're going to put your kids in soccer. You're going to put your, uh, put your kids in football, basketball, whatever. And that's going to teach them teamwork and things like that. But which of course it does. I don't want to knock that. Um, I was never athletic. So of course I never like had, had a really good opportunity to, to take part in something like that. But whenever you are in an ensemble and you are working with other musicians, I have never experienced more of a collaboration or a team environment more than in that moment. And again, like I know that you can empathize because your kids are in band and they have to work as a team every single day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's really, it's really cool to, to hear it, you know, from a musician standpoint and in me as a parent getting to see, you know, my kids experience this. And, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, kind of pops out for me is yeah, seeing my kids, uh, they, they're in marching band and they, um, you know, they have to not only play an instrument along with the entire band, but they also have to move. And, um, it's, it's very, um, it's very physically demanding as, as well as, you know, being, being, um, being in a collaborative group of, of music going on. So, um, you know, one of the things that, that, that always just strikes me is my kids talk about, getting their cues from, um, from the, uh, what do you call them? The, the, drum, the major. drum major. Yes. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I am not a music person. Like I just, no. I get all of this stuff from my kids. So, um, but yeah, from the drum major. And so, um, you know, and, and they, they, they often, I often hear them talk about, you know, looking to that individual for the, the, the cues that they need and, and, and to just kind of sit back and, you know, from my experience as a leader, kind of, kind of relating that back to leadership. I look at them as they are the people that are providing the vision, right? For the whole group. They are organizing that whole group, not only providing that vision and organizing them, but keeping them all focused on the result that you, that you want to get out of, out of that performance. And honestly, to see the band and, and, and any kind of musical performance, um, and, in, in, in that, from that perspective, just kind of changes the way you, you think, I think about things as a leader and, and how do you create that alignment? How do you get everybody on the same page, working towards the same goal, you know? Um, you know, if, if we're all in the same boat and we're all rowing in different directions, are we going to get anywhere? No, that's exactly right. And like you brought up a really good point of like making sure that everyone is on the same page and that you all have the same goal. Right. And as a leader, um, and from a different perspective, you kind of have to instill that in your team, right? You know, we were talking earlier about extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation, extrinsic, um, being an outside force, being an outside goal, something that's tangible, um, that you can, uh, kind of instill in your team and you can kind of, it's kind of like a carrot, right? You're, you're, you're kind of dangling the carrot in front of your team, but whenever you, and still intrinsic motivation in your team. That is an internal motivation. That is a drive within the members of your team, the members of your ensemble toward one common goal. And really it's just, how do you instill that? How do you create that? I think that it's, especially with the intrinsic motivation, 
sometimes you can't, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, that's a really tough question to answer, Hannah, because it, it, it really, it really boils down to, you know, your own internal mindsets and, and your own, um, internal belief systems. And, and so oftentimes, you know, as a leader, in order to instill that, you know, intrinsic motivation or that engagement from your team to continue moving on, you know, as a leader, it's, it's our responsibility to, to, to create that vision, to paint that picture of the beautiful end of the rainbow, right? Like, what is that going to look like when we get there? And you paint that picture and you vision and you get them, you get that motivation um, through that visioning process. Um, but but one thing that often happens is you, you paint that big picture and everybody's very encouraged by that. But, but the work to get there is hard. Just like you in an ensemble, you didn't start out at that end vision, right? Like you started out taking baby steps and it's hard work to get everybody singing the same note or playing in the same tune and marching to the same beat. It is very difficult when you have everybody um, doing that. And oftentimes you have team members that that, that work really hard and, and excel and, and are very intrinsically motivated. And you might have some team members who aren't as, as intrinsically motivated and they get discouraged when things get, get tough. And so that's where I think, you know, really, uh, perseverance comes in and, um, and, and really it boils down to your, your own personal mindset as to whether, Hey, it, it, can I do this? Um, and, and, you know, oftentimes, you know, of course you can do it. It's never as hard as you really think it is. It's just really that moment. No, that's absolutely right. That is absolutely right. Um, I kind of want to uh, ask you as well about something else that Gil said um, that I'm just going to take with me forever. Um, finding your yellow brick road, which I hadn't previously heard. And, and that's, he, he even spoke in the podcast. That's one of his favorite kind of mannerisms and uh, metaphors to use. What did you think of that um, metaphor and what did you take away from it? Man, I, I really, I loved that he he said that I when when he when he said that I I kind of you know just like paused for a moment and pondered you know well what what mm -hmm. is the yellow brick road right mm -hmm. like who 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 determines the yellow brick road how do we know we're on the yellow brick road how do we know we're on the right yellow brick road and 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 so it, it kind of caused me to to have um you know those kinds of of questions come up but you know in an instant, I realized we're, we're all on the yellow brick road and the yellow brick road has curves. It has turns. It has dead ends, right? But it's all the same yellow brick road. So even if you hit a dead end, that doesn't mean that you're not on the yellow brick road. It just means that maybe you have to turn back. And maybe you have to make a right where you made a left. Um, but there's always an opportunity to continue on to your yellow brick road. And, and, and I, I guess that's just really what I loved about it was just knowing that no matter what I do, I'm on the yellow brick road. I just need yeah. to find the right path. <laughs> exactly. And like, that's, I feel like that's really hard with, 
um, people in my generation, you know, millennials to, to get a grasp on because, you know, I, I've, I've talked about this before. I, I used to work in college admissions and it is completely crazy to me that we are asking 17, 18 year olds to decide on a program, decide on a major and say, all right, this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Whenever I still, I mean, I, I don't even, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning. And you're telling me that I need to completely have a plan whenever I turn 18 years old, um, and, and, and follow this yellow brick road. But I think that the important part of that, and you, and you articulated it amazingly is that whenever you have a dead end, whenever you have a bumpy road, whenever you're taking turns, you know, you're still on your yellow brick road. Like it's, it's a journey, right? And like I said earlier, you know, I was a musician and I, I went to music school and then I was expected to teach music. And then, um, that changed. And then I went into college admissions and then now I'm in software and now I picked up and I moved to a new city. So if you would have asked me five years ago, if that was on my yellow brick road, I would have said, no way, absolutely not. So it's also just being flexible and being open and welcoming to new opportunities that come into your life. Yeah. And, and, and I agree. And I, I think one other thing I'd like to add to this is, is that, you know, on that yellow brick road, the dead end doesn't mean it's a failure. The dead end was an experience that you needed to have in order to get to Oz, so to speak, right? Using that same, you know, analogy, but you, you needed that experience. That was, that experience was for your greater good so that you could get to your Oz without that dead end, without that bumpy road, without that curve that you weren't expecting you wouldn't have gotten to your awe. So all of those things are important and, and a part of the journey. And, 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 you know, I, I think that, that you're, you're right on when saying, you know, um, just be open and, and, and experience and live and, and enjoy it. Well, and to your point, what you just said was whenever you make it to Oz, you know, Whenever they were on that journey, whenever Dorothy and her uh, clan were on their journey, they didn't know when they were going to hit Oz. They were just walking. They were just trudging through. They were just pushing through. And eventually they made it. But did they know exactly whenever? Yes, this is whenever we're going to hit Oz. No, they didn't. Yeah. And that's such a good point because what is Oz then, you know, is Oz the end of our life? Because do we ever really reach, you know, to your point, you've already experienced several different, you know, career changes and life events in just a short period of time. And, and who knows, like that, that there's not going to be something else that, that comes up for you that, that, that is an experience that, that you want to have and you should have it. You should have every experience you want to have in your life. Yeah. And, and again, like what, what is Oz? What is your Oz? Do you know right now? No, I don't. Maybe, maybe some people have an idea. Maybe some people think that they do, but no, um, to Gil's point, it's all about the journey. Um, and I absolutely love that he made a connection to one of my favorite movies. <laughs> 
Well, thanks again for joining us for this episode of Revo Talk, the podcast from RevoTrack Resource Management Systems. If you liked what you heard today, we have an amazing list of guests that we're excited for y'all to hear from. So follow Revo Talk so you never miss a new episode. Also feel free to follow us on social media. We are on all of the major platforms under RevoTrack Resource Management Systems. Until then, see you next time. Bye.